ASI, season four. This is episode number 16. Gonna get into a little of my interview with Eddie Caparici, as well as sex, mindfulness, music, arts, and attitude here on the podcast. Anyone who's fought this thing, man, fought any unwanted behaviors, maybe felt like this, huh? Kicking it off with some three days grace right here, homies. because I got sick of living like a landmine, right? Just sick and tired of being like that. Like having that being being part of my freaking being, all right? There's a little bit of angst and pushback towards the, the, the tick-tock of the freaking bomb landmine that someone might step on. I guess maybe even a better metaphor than my my uh, time bomb metaphor, right? Like somebody's going to step, like some of us have buttons, you know, getting into talking about some of my anger over the years. It was like you, we get buttons. <laughs> we, we grow certain buttons and somebody pushes one and uh, or you see something, right? The triggers of life. I saw something or I heard something and now I've been triggered, right? So now I have to we grow these, you know, hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil kind of attitudes that just lock us into more isolation. It's like it's almost like the devil baits us with morality so that we can just become more isolated and detached. I don't know. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about a little bit today. Gonna read a survey by a listener who refers to himself as Doc J. On the next episode, I'm gonna play the whole interview, um, minus one part that's in this podcast here. That is in my interview with the counselor Eddie here. Here's a, a quick little preview. Because sexual addiction, like most other addictions, is rarely about the sex itself. Yeah. What it is, sexual addiction is a way of either being able to push away our emotional pain, and it serves as a distraction for a period of time, or is used to soothe ourselves mm-hmm. because the pain is so hurtful. And we have to do what I call connecting the dots. And that is to go back and start to understand why did we, or why did someone begin using sex as a tool in the first place? 
that's Eddie Caparici. Reminded me of the band Tool. Like, what kind of tools do we use emotionally as coping mechanisms? Sex, right? Can be a powerful one. Um, late 90s, early 2000s, band Tool was pretty popular, and one of their logos was, it looked like a wrench, but it was a, it was like a, it was a, a wrench with, with two, right? It looked like balls in the shaft, and there's, there's the Tool, right? <laughs> Eddie getting into some of the psyche of rock and roll, maybe, <laughs> I don't know, um, if you're a new listener, introductions may be in order here. Uh, my name is Russ Shaw. My email address is russ at asi247.org. That's one way to stay in contact with the show. There's also surveys on the ASI website. You can fill out a survey and, and interact with the show, actually be on the show that way. It's a way to get to know you a little bit. I, your host, ask you some questions. Some of them are fairly personal, right? But it's these these are questions that I wish somebody would have asked me when when I was struggling with some of these unwanted, stubborn behaviors. Um, it's, it's and again, it's not just it's not about the behavior, right? Uh, I got an email from a listener in Jerusalem, so shout out to Jerusalem. How cool is that, that people in the Holy Land, right, are listening to the, the ASI podcast? I don't know why they call it that. I, I don't know. Anyway, that's a whole other show. I'm not going to go into it. Uh, this is from Big Bad Jew Boy from Jerusalem. Love that. <laughs> this is Handel. Um, Your guest, Jim Henderson, lacks the humility and doesn't display Christ-like fruit of the Spirit that is required by the position that he purpose perpetuity is called to. Um, Jim wrote a book called Question Mark, if you missed that interview. And listen, I don't agree with everybody, right? I don't agree with Jim on everything. I don't agree with anybody who I've right had a conversation with on everything, right? So just disclaimer there. But what I loved about Jim's book is that he goes after spiritual bullies. There was a big one in the Seattle area. It's not about him, but it's it's a template for calling out um, spiritual bullies. The verse that he's talking about, um, the fruit of the Spirit, it comes from Galatians uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is is not our, us being awesome, all right? It's not based on us being varsity. It's based on a gift that God gives through a softening of the heart and an awareness and mindfulness of the soul, all right? Uh, the book of Galatians is a correction by the Apostle Paul to Peter, who became a kind of spiritual bully, who just became a self-righteous religious person who didn't care about people. So part of the reason the book of Galatians was written was to correct spiritual abuse, spiritual bullying. Uh, Matthew 23, Jesus goes after spiritual bullies. I mean, it is an all-out rant against self-righteous religion, all right? It's not, again, Jesus didn't start a new religion, 
All right, we get that really clear here. Jesus is carrying out and fulfilling what's already written and was just true. Okay, um, you know, people hear this. Oh, yeah, Jesus was speaking out against the Jews and the Sadducees. No, he wasn't. Jesus is a Jew. All right, that's silly. Jesus was simply carrying out and living out what he was called to do. Um, And some of that was calling religious bullies to the carpet. And sadly, the last hundred years of Christianity, in Western culture especially, there's not been a whole lot written about spiritual bullying or spiritual abuse that happens in churches and how we can stop it and how we can see it and how we can help the bullies even, right? Because anyone who's a bully, there's, there's something broken in them. There's something that needs healing in them. So I'm humbled and honored to get this uh, email from Jerusalem from the big bad Jew. I'm glad you're listening. Um, I guess it's just how do we write a Christ-like attitude? Well, you know, I think it's John 8 where Jesus looks at the Pharisees and, and basically says, you know, you're a son of the devil. I mean, he's not real nice to some of these guys. I mean, I've been critical of some, like, megachurch religious people, and not just megachurch people, but these, the attitudes of the self-righteous, right? Like, I've been critical of those guys, but I never looked at one of them and said, hey, your mom shagged the devil and made you. Like, I've never had that kind of attitude towards them. But, I mean, what Jim is talking about here is this you know, rewarding just bad leadership, bad bullying kind of behavior. And giving them a big microphone and a big stage and a great big paycheck is like giving a a heroin addict more heroin. It's not good for them long term. And it's not good for the people that sit at the feet of their teaching long term either. Because ultimately we need to be accountable to Christ, not ourselves right not just because you're a a rock star with a big name I i think that's destructive and it's it's an offense to the gospel of christ so hopefully that makes sense and and jim's a great guy he loves people and he wants to see the gospel advance in the minds and hearts of of people who impact the culture because mars hill did that in the beginning but a lot of those folks left as soon as it got weird, right? As soon as it got judgy, preachy, that kind of weird, it turned into like Bible Belt Christianity from Texas or something. Not that that's bad, but right? just, it wasn't gospel-centered. It just became kind of American religion-centered. was going to uh, promote another podcast here on the show today by a guy named Mark, ironically, who, who does a podcast for people who've been hurt or wounded by the church. It's a lot of that energy in his podcast, people that um, have some, right, some disregard, some some heart wounds when it comes to spiritual community. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Also in the future podcasts, um, I don't know about you, but it looks like my Facebook news feed, especially here in the United States, Western culture, right? I don't know how many American friends you have, but in the last week or so, the last few weeks, um, my Facebook news feed has looked like 
uh, a bunch of good old boys from the South carrying Confederate flags got inside the General Lee and had a head-on collision with a Skittles truck, right? And spilled taste the rainbow all over the freeway. So there's been this weird kind of angst in my country over some laws that have changed and, and some things that have been said, speaking of judgment and discernment. And uh, I wanted to talk about that in the future too, because um, I've, I've got reviews on this podcast about how people think I'm a homophobe or something like that, or I'm against gay people or it, listen, do you even listen to this show? I mean, that's <laughs> some of those reviews on iTunes. It's like, no, man, I, I, you don't understand my heart towards people who, right, same-sex attraction. I'm not here to stand and point at how people should and ought to be, all right? That's not what my faith is centered on. When people did that to me, when I was where I was at, when I was struggling with my faith, when I wanted to understand Jesus, when I was like, does God care about me? Like I behave in certain ways that, that, you know, Christians are saying is, is, is like, I'm going to hell, right? So does, is God love me if I'm going to hell because I behave in this certain way? I've got emails over the years, people with this frustrated spiritual energy, like, you think I choose this, right? Do they think I choose this? Seriously? People who think that they're without sin, casting stones, saying judgy things like, Oh, you could change. Like, you have a choice. You could just change anytime you want. And listen, as a guy who understood all of my flaws, all right, my numbers of sins that I did on a habitual, reoccurring basis, I felt that, all right? Like, that that was destructive. That was horrible. Um, And I'm not gay, all right? I'm not someone who struggles with... Uh, that message that's put out there that's just anyway so we're gonna we're gonna talk about it hopefully in the month of august um looking at getting into doing some more youtube stuff and i was thinking about doing like a trailer for this series of talks you know i have had uh, gay men in the beginning uh, email into a show called Attitudes of Sexual Integrity um, hosted by a Christian guy, right, asking about their compulsive sexual behavior. How do I stop this? And listen, I've never been Mr. You, you need to stop sleeping with men or stop being attracted to the same sex. Like, that's I, I've always wanted to help people with the compulsive behavior first. And, you know, your stuff... Whether it's same sex or opposite sex, um, loving another person, that whole dynamic when it comes to homosexuality is something that I don't understand, and I'm not going to be pretend to be an expert on something I don't know about, all right? And that's where I, I pray for wisdom, and I have guests on the show who can help illuminate some of this. Because here's something I do know, and as, as a researcher and as someone who geeks out on sexual behavior and why human beings do what they do, um, here's a really sad statistic. And just, man, reading Facebook and Twitter and some of the things that people are saying, it's just not Christ-like, man. It's just not. People are just downright mean. 
some of them even listeners to the show. It's like uh, guys who've got divorced over their secret stubborn sins that they had inside them and you know and they're going to cast the first stone seriously because the whole same sex thing is so much worse I, I just it boggles the mind um I'm not going to go into some of the mean things that have been said, but here's here's something that, that came out, um, I think, about a year ago. Uh, it was a study that was published in the Journal of Pediatrics, and it was a survey that was done of a bunch of Oregon 11th graders, about 31,000 of them. And the study basically concluded that LGBT youth are 25% more likely to commit suicide than their heterosexual classmates. That is astounding. That is huge. And that should wake us up. If we are the body of Christ, are we really going to just stand there and throw stones? Are we really going to heap on more of this guilty kind of you know, God doesn't love you, you're going to hell, kind of. We just heap on these heavy loads for for these folks to carry, and and we're not helping, just like Matthew 21 says, and Jesus talking to the Pharisees. We're just going to, you know, throw this attitude at people like, oh, well, you could change. You could change overnight if you wanted to. That's just silly. It's not... It's not loving. It's not compassionate. It's not trying to get into the other person's shoes and understand them. Um, it reminded me of this, this song by uh, Derek Minor, who's a, a Christian rap artist. This song, I love this song. It, it's not, you know, it's not just gay people, right? It's those of us who are stuck with the the sins that we, you know, the things that we can't control and, and the attitudes that get in our heart and how we feel more judged than loved by the Mr. Christians of the world, right? This is Derek Minor featuring Lecrae. Excuse me, I don't quite understand you. Propaganda and banter and all of this empty chatter. And amidst these amens, hallelujahs and shucking jiving. See a lot of hypocrites and hypercriticizing Mr. Lecrae, my mama sold me up the river for some rocks And daddy told me I was nothing but a problem Now here you come selling me, I'm a low-down dirty sinner And you got the nerve to wonder why I'm in these streets robbing Well, gon' get Batman, and gon' get Batman I don't need to be judged by you and all of your whack friends Ain't gluttony a sin, why you staring at my gin? Where I'm from, we don't pretend, we know we ain't getting in the world don't trust me, and these streets done crush me. Thought you were known for love, but you just love the judgment. Truth is, ironically, you need me around, though. Cause otherwise, you got nobody else to look down on. Dear Mr. Christian, I know you're on a mission. I know you say the answer to my problem is religion. I know I'm supposed to change the way I live and stop sinning. But I'd appreciate it if you take some time to listen. Dear Mr. Christian, I know you're on a mission I know you say the answer to my problem is religion I know I'm supposed to change the way I live and stop sinning But I'd appreciate it if you take some time to listen Dear Mr. Christian My friend Pico shared that song with me And I was like, wow, right? Like, that's 
again, another reason for the passion for doing this podcast, because I felt exactly like that, man. Living on the streets, off living off the streets, right? I just, uh, we, we don't, uh, what are we doing, right, as Christians? Is homosexuality sin? Yes, the Bible's pretty clear that it's sin, but so is gluttony. Two-thirds of of people here in the United States are overweight, and a good um, chunk of that number are obese. So I just find it incredible that we think that we're without sin and we can throw the stones. So I'm I'm not here to defend gay people or judge them either, but I pray that you could help me um, listen, right? Like that song says, Dear Mr. Christian, will you take some time to listen? Let's start a new conversation, all right? Again, it's like we welcome and wrap our arms around the alcoholic and the drug addict, and even today, the sex addict, because they see their sin, right? And they know that they need to get help. Man, that's not the majority of people, all right? The majority of people who really struggle with sexual addiction sadly don't seek help for it until the wheels come off in their marriage or something like that. So for us to sit back and judge the LGBT world, um, we just don't get it. We, we don't even understand. We're not even trying to understand. Again, where were all the picket signs when no-fault divorce was enacted in the 70s, right? Like the Supreme Court made some decisions back then, too, but because it benefited most couples, right, opposite-sex couples who were in uh, marriages that were uncomfortable, like we, we believe in covenant marriage. That's just different, it, and it's not the world's idea of marriage. And listen, I'm not here to shame divorced people or fat people, right? (laughs) I'm 25 pounds overweight right now anyway. I can't stand here and tell you that I've totally broken the practice of the sin of gluttony myself, all right? But see, the attitude towards or the definition of sin is kind of what's being discussed in culture today. Um, there's a Christian counselor named David Pallison, who is a brilliant man. I, I love this guy. CCEF, I believe, is the um, Christian Counselor's Training Education Center. And, and he talks about how sin has been redefined in the world as um, dysfunction, disorder, addiction, right? Because I think culturally, a lot of this is the world's attitude towards religious people and how they see this word sin, right? How we define it. And how you know, the laws of the land have changed here in the United States. Supreme Court had a ruling. A lot of people are freaking out. People are unfriending their other friends on Facebook over this stuff, right? I mean, it's so divisive in Christian culture today. And I want to I talk about it. I want to get to the truth of it. I don't have all the answers, all right? But I do want to open up a space where it's okay to ask the questions because I think that's important. If we're afraid to embrace the questions, we're just like a bunch of lumberjacks walking around with big logs hanging out of our face. 
if we're going to love people and seek truth at the same time, how is that conversation going to birth itself out? And that's what I'm looking to do in the future. So, And listen, me not being a lone wolf taking this thing on, this conversation on alone, is going to be me reaching out to you, uh, the listener, a little bit in the form of donations. I know, donations, I'm asking for money. I have to, I'm working on getting comfortable with that. It's difficult. I don't like having to ask for money. But I I know that being a guy with two jobs and taking on such an endeavor, it's not realistic to think that I can do it for free. Um, um, You can donate on the ASI uh, 247.org right there on the main page. Uh, There's a place to donate. You can also give monthly. There's a few folks that are doing that. Just a small amount even, like five bucks a month would help pay the, uh, the bandwidth on this podcast. It does cost money to keep up. And um, donations for the frequency of podcasts. I, I have two jobs now, so doing this podcast and working two jobs and loving my wife and family, it, it becomes difficult. So sometimes the shows get pushed back a couple of weeks and, and I have all this stuff that <laughs> I want people I want to interview things to say and uh, the frequency of content is also it's very helpful um, if you could give to help free me from that because I am self-employed like I don't have a boss who tells me you need to be to work at this time you know I can take a day off and it's not a big deal because I'm my boss but I do have bills to pay so there's that Part of the way that I get away with playing the music that I do, the snippets, the pieces of music, is promo bumpers, is what they're called in the talk radio business. The music promo bumpers now, I do get a few pennies for, right, if you buy them on Amazon. So in talk radio, you'll hear them introduce, a, I don't know, a topic or a guest, or, and then they'll play a piece of music, and then they'll, they call that a promo bumper. Um, so this is speech media. It, that's the genre it's in. And I play pieces of music that are not the whole song. It's just a snippet. It's called a bumper. So uh, ASI247.org, click on the music tab and you can actually download the music in its entirety. There's links to it right there on the website. So I take it a step further than some of the boys in talk radio by, uh, hey, you can buy the music on the website. Keeps my nose cleaned with the uh, RIAA <laughs> recording industry, hopefully. Um, <laughs> that's how I've been doing this for going on nine years now. So haven't gotten in trouble yet with almost 400,000 downloads. So Yes, ASI247.org. Click on the Music tab. Uh, There's lots of other stuff going on there on the website. Uh, The survey page, you can be on the show by taking a survey. I haven't done any surveys for a while, so I was going to read a little bit of a survey uh, along with this interview that I'm doing today as well. Uh, Fact-checking, I had a listener who said, Russ... Uh, a while back, I said that B.B. Uh, King wrote Stand By Me. The song Stand By Me was not written by B.B. King. It was actually written by a guy named Ben E. King and not the old blues man B.B. Uh, King. I don't know how that rumor got started or why I believed that, but anyway, just 
clarifying that. I was wrong about that. Um, I'm sure that B.B. King wrote some positive music as well, not just blues. But right now I don't have time to research that. (laughs) So anyway, maybe you could, ASI listeners, if you know some, not just positive music, but, you know, life-giving, not just blues music that the man wrote. I'm sure he wrote lots of happy songs, too. The correlation I was trying to draw there was like the Psalms. You know, the Psalms aren't all happy, praise, worship music. Some of them are pretty bluesy, right? And blues artists don't just write sad songs all the time. Well, maybe some do, but, (laughs) right? Um, I was, again, the Psalms, popular music, we put our emotions into the music we listen to. Music stirs the soul, stirs the emotions, stirs the heart, does it not? Anyway, you, you get what I'm saying. That was my point. But yes, Ben E. King. I always thought that Ben E. King was B.B. King, but no, that's not the truth. And there, I could make a whole uh, podcast off of that misrepresentation, but I won't today anyway. But yeah, I find it fascinating how popular music or heavy metal, hard rock, hip-hop music today has its genesis, has its roots in the blues. American blues even, right? So yes, Ben E. King in 1961 released Stand By Me. Uh, Beautiful song. Giving Mr. E. King his props there. So, uh, on the ASI podcast, right? That's what's cool about social media, too, is that, you know, the whole Brian Williams thing that came down. I mean, these guys who were on the helicopters with them, you know, they're on Facebook, right? (laughs) And they're like, and dude, you know, you weren't in that helicopter. So, hopefully, here I'm... uh, I turn into Brian Williams, right? At least I'll admit it. Um, Speaking of hard rock and roll, a friend of mine turned me on to this podcast, and if you like the ASI podcast, some other good uh, fuel for your brain, right? Spirit, your ears, whatever. We become that which we hear, right? You listen to a lot of uh, whatever it is, it, it seeps in. You know, and it's just kind of how we are. We're sort of creatures of conformity. And uh, this guy was in a thrash uh, metal band. His name's Mark Solomon. He does a, a podcast called Never Was. And I love this guy. I love the cut of his jib. I told him on Twitter. Um, but he was in a, a hardcore thrash Christian metal band um, called Crucified. My friend uh, Ryan, uh, pastor at the the Foundation Church in Everett, he uh, his wife has a, a crucified tattoo on her ankle. A friend of mine noticed it at church. My friend John Gayton, he's been on the podcast too, and he actually has the same tattoo on his arm, I guess. He messaged me, we were messaging about this, and it's like, yeah, so giving a shout out to Mark Solomon and those guys, you know, I mean, here's this band that made such an impact on Christian culture in a place like Seattle, even where, you know, Hey, there's two people that went to the Mars Hill church. It was at the time that, uh, have, have this tattoo, which is kind of awesome. Right. 
Um, but yeah, Mark Solomon's podcast never was. Wanted to kind of give those guys an honorable mention on the podcast today. Because, you know, that kind of music, rock and roll music, is it's just energy. It's just what it is, right? It's just how we're feeling at the time and that flow going in a certain direction, I believe. Um, I never got into a lot of Christian music. Um, so I felt here at this point in the podcast, we would talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the shoulds and ought tos of art, the differences in how we feel versus how we think and how we think influences how we feel and how, you know, the the arts get into that space, right? I like what Paul Young said. He said that, you know, the arts, storytelling, music, they tend to get past our watchful dragons, right? It's part of conformity bias. I wanted to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, Confirmation bias, conformity bias, um, my side bias, it's also been called... And relax. I'm not going to be too redundant, okay? I'm not going to talk about another email from a pastor who's talking about the secular poison that I'm putting out in my podcast. (laughs) I'm not going to go there. Anyway, it's not that I'm going to stop beating that proverbial dead horse, (laughs) but hopefully I can take an approach that's easier to understand than just, you know, in the past I've been just defensive maybe, and that has lost some people, but I want to talk about why it's important that I do play the music I play, and even that some of you who just listen to Christian music all the time, like, is that healthy? You know, there's a question for you. Three Days Grace is the uh, the band that I just played there. Three Days Grace, not necessarily Christian music, right? Um, I was reading quotes by Johnny Cash the other night, and one of the things he said in an interview, I guess, is that uh, uh, he was asked, are you a Christian artist? And he said, no, uh, I'm an artist who's a Christian, <laughs> right? This isn't necessarily Christian music, right? Um and I don't know the worldview of the band members of Three Days Grace, but uh, you wouldn't. F- I don't think you would find them in the Christian bookstore um, somewhere in like Georgia. <laughs> See there, there I go um, with the uh, Bible Belt jokes. There's something about modern metal, right, or modern hard rock that seems to lance the pussy wound of shame. Right, or at least some of these songs that sing about shame and, and sadness and frustration, right? Um, th- they bring to mind, they bring to the heart something that that's maybe sick sitting in there, right? Like a festering wound, and and I think that's what's good about it. Um, and listen, as a kid, when I when I was sixteen years old. I drank myself to death. I drank a half gallon of Bacardi rum, and you know I wasn't intending to kill myself, but I also wasn't delighted to be alive as a person at that time. All right, so I, I get it, man. I, I understand why this music is so powerful and what can be good about it. I also understand how powerful it can be when a guy like Sonny Sandoval bucks the system a little bit, becomes sort of a rebel 
to the uh, religious establishment as far as Christian recordings and music is concerned and puts out some music like this. There's a bumper from P.O.D. Every day is a new day I'm thankful for every breath I take I won't take it for granted So I learn from my mistakes Christian music history for you. Um, yeah, in the 80s, you know, you started seeing rock bands become popular like Striper. And I, I hadn't heard of Crucified. I guess Crucified has come out in 1984. But uh, in the 90s, there was this influx of a lot of these hardcore like metal and punk bands that were Christian right that you could buy in the christian bookstore so you had you know like your christian parents saying you know you're not going to listen to that stuff well hey in the christian bookstore here we could listen to this right and and so a lot of people consumed that music and you know like in the 80s there was so much like michael w smith and carmen and some of this music that was just kind of chimey and kind of happy all the time like we don't want to touch on some negative issues but a lot of the the punk bands and the rock bands and the you know the christian rock dudes would play music that would resonate the, with the soul of a teenager you know and this was the first time really i think in the 90s the 90s where you had music with angst on labels that traditionally did gospel music. And there was, you know, record companies that, that evolved out of that, like Tooth and Nail, for example, but performed by artists who, most of them were Christians, blood-bought, Jesus-loving uh, Christians, right? And the music was so good that you had crossover bands, they were called, right? Like P.O.D., who was a Christian band who made the Billboard charts, had a song called Alive that made it, you know, I think up in the top 10 in the rock charts. I think Alive even hit number one for a while. And in the early 2000s, Switchfoot, you know, um, Reliant K came on the scene. These bands were making headway, not just in, quote, Christian music, but they were becoming mainstream. The, the culture started to listen, which is a good thing, right? At least from my standpoint, it is in my worldview. And whatever your worldview is, when the heart starts to get stirred and starts to show itself on the outside, right? Hearts and minds are changed. People say, that's authentic. That's real. I'm attracted to that. And 
it, it these guys these artists started to impact the culture for good which is interesting christians who weren't just consumers but were living on purpose you know taking what's in their hearts and minds that's welling up and putting it out there right and not all judgy with fingers pointed outward at the culture what those folks ought to be doing or right but pointing looking inward going why do i do the things i do why do i feel the way i do i mean that kind of thing is being on mission like that's what that looks like Part of me wonders if some of that stir of that music, you know, the artists back then are helping to keep the gospel message flowing out from inside the heart, right? Because I think the cool creative thing about music and the arts, film, right, storytelling, is it breaks down some of this confirmation bias or what Jesus called in the Bible playing plank spec because in some of these stories and i think it does change culturally right like as time moves on and as people interact with each other in different ways like with social media for example social media has brought a different and new way of interacting which kind of changes the story um as far as our culture goes socially does it not the way we communicate. I mean, when the telephone was invented, that changed the way people did relationship, right? And now we're in the age of the internet and information is at your fingertips all of the time. It's just different the way we interact with one another. And that's one of those questions that's just out there that I'd love to explore as well, like social media, for example. Um, people that struggle with sexual compulsive behavior, unwanted sexual behavior, um, it, it's funny how I've seen just this something I've noticed, and, and I don't know, right? That's why maybe it should call for a survey. Um, but it, it seems like there's a lot of folks who struggle with this that aren't involved in social media, or they see it as a bad thing, right? They see Facebook or Twitter or, I mean, Twitter's kind of unfiltered, to be honest. So yeah, Twitter, if you're trying to stay away from some of that imagery, you know, there's, there's your kids, I don't think your kids should be on Twitter. All right. I'm just saying your kids are under 16. <laughs> just keep them off of Twitter. Uh, but anyway, social media, how we interact with other people. I mean, your family, is on social media, right? There's people in your past who you may encounter on social media. Now, does that stir up affairs and stuff like that? Sometimes it does, yeah. But my question is why, right? Um, the, the world's changing and we can talk to other people, right? Why does that, why do we interpret that as being a bad thing? And some of you are going to experience, right, the way you interact with the world the way the story is told the way your story of your life is told moving forward and the good news of it the the thing that i find so encouraging is that we're breaking up some of this um again plank spec because that's why churches are having such a hard time i think is this confirmation bias that we've had for so long and basically what confirmation bias is it comes from social psychology and it says that 
While my brain may want to learn things, my heart isn't very teachable. That's part of why I named this podcast Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, because without the right attitude, all the brain stuff, right, all the information of the world doesn't matter. Like, your heart has to be stirred in a direction where you want to see change. Is change possible? Yes. We all change. It's inevitable. But what does that change? What needs to take place in the heart in order for that change to take root? And that's where confirmation bias comes in. So confirmation bias is also called my side bias or conformity bias. It's the tendency to search for, interpret, or recall information in a way that confirms one's belief or hypothesis. A series of experiments in the 1960s suggest that people are biased towards confirming their own existing beliefs, later reinterpreting these results as a tendency to test ideas in a one-sided way, focusing on only one possibility and ignoring all other alternatives. Um, This is why recovery groups are so important. Because it busts up that conformity bias, right? You take people, that's what Bill W. did that was so brilliant. He took this idea from the Oxford groups after World War One, a way of doing, you know, loving God and being in community without all the religious BS, right? So you bring that into a recovery situation where you had in the 50s a bunch of alcoholics who are trying to all, right, they have this one thing that they're struggling with that they want to see freedom over and you put them in a room and they're all they come from all different walks of life right that's the anonymous part it's one of the things they say in the 12 steps is you you hang your title at the door like nobody's more important or less important than anyone else here so you know you take the id and the ego and the right the pride and you hang it at the door But the point is, everybody sits down at the table and everybody has this same, right, I want to learn. My heart needs to learn. And sometimes when these these biases come out, we're challenged on them in a good way. I heard Donald Miller talked about, you know, coming from Texas and this hyper-religious culture and moving to Oregon and going to Reed College. And what he said he really liked about Reed College is that, you know, they would discuss a topic and they would look for the truth, right? Like, we're going to discuss the truth about this topic and we're going to leave all of our biases out of it. See, having an unwanted behavior or an addiction is going to make us either diligently seek out the truth to see the behavior change, or it's going to have us just justify it, look for attitudes that will, you know, excuse it, that we would define love and freedom in such a way as like looking at grace, right? Just thinking, oh, well, you know, I have the grace. We start to lean into the some of this hyper-reformed theology that just says we're all snow-covered pieces of crap and, you know, there's nothing we can do. No, there is something we can do. We can learn to love better, and that may take changing our attitude. It may take getting around some other people following Christ and actually carrying our cross 
part of that is letting go of some of our biases emotionally. Christians are simply people who socially, like a church, is simply people who socially are living out what's true for everyone. And part of the reason I've been so adamant about pointing out bad religion in this podcast is because confirmation bias is probably one of the most destructive attitudes that we can have as human beings when it comes to loving our fellow man. It's funny how social psychologists in like the 60s and 70s are finally catching up to what the Bible says, right? Like what Jesus said 2,000 years ago about, you know, again, Matthew 7, this, uh, I'll read it a little bit to you because it's part of making this point. I'm going to use some scripture to, to make this point between what we know and how our hearts are moving, right? Like, there's a little confusion over this, and I, I did some writing about the difference between um, judgment and discernment, all right? Those are two different things, and I think sometimes the Bible jumbles those two up in its English translations. Um, Matthew 7 says, Don't judge so that you won't be judged, for the way you judge others is how you will be judged. The measure with which you measure out will be used to measure you. Right? Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye and not notice the log hanging out of your eye? Right? How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye when you have a log hanging out of your eye? You hypocrites, first take the log out of your eye, then you'll see clearly so that you can remove the splinter from your brother's eye. That's usually where people end that, you know, when they're talking about judgment. But it goes on. Verse 6. Don't give to dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls to pigs if you do they may trample them under their feet and turn and attack you um again religious bullies you know that's something i talked about in the early episodes i was sort of against it seemed like i had this angst against like 12 step groups and I'm not against 12-step groups. I did say that before. I guess I just want you to be discerning about some of the leaders because I think there's as much um, spiritual bullying, right, or bullying by a leader in a in a recovery group. There can be bullies there, too, just like there's bullies in a church. So that's more of what my angst was was after was the bullies that can flare up in as a leadership role in some of these 12-step groups. And then that's why they don't work long-term. And again, I'm not saying that all 12-step groups don't work. I'm just saying that there's a heart-level attitude that needs to be adopted and needs to be flowing out in order for people to see heart change. Um, because it, it, Jesus <laughs> needs to be the center of some of these groups. It's just if there's just this vague higher power, you've got to be able to teach that in a way that people can understand and that impacts the heart and mind with truth. Um, I'll give you another example of of why it's so important to, you know, again, it's like. <laughs> the social psychologist, there's a bunch of different words for this in social psychology. It's actor-observer bias, right? Confirmation bias. Attribution error is another one. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, this is again starting in verse 1. 
And by the way, the translation that I'm reading this with is, uh, I'm on Bible Gateway, and to honor uh, the email from Jerusalem, from the big bad Jew, I chose to (laughs) read from the complete Jewish Bible. (laughs) So that's where I'm I'm getting this translation. So check this out. Um, I may speak in the tongues of men, even angels, but if I lack love, I have become merely blaring brass or clanging cymbal. I may have the gift of prophecy. I may fathom all the mysteries and know all things. Have faith enough to move mountains. But if I lack love, I am nothing. I may give away everything that I own. I may even hand over my body to be burned. But if I lack love... I gain nothing, right? And then the rest of that chapter goes into unpacking. It's a deconstruct, reconstruct on defining love, right? I I hope you understand that because that's part of truth. When we understand love, we understand truth. Jesus had eyes of compassion. He had this heart that was so in the moment that you could feel the understanding and love that he had for people. Being a Christ follower is following that truth, right? People don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. And they that takes time and it takes trust building and it takes some courage. It takes us not only getting off our high horse but realizing that we're sitting on one right? It takes humility. And that's the heart level good news and life-giving beauty of it. See, because when we come off all judgy and critical, hyper-criticizing, right? People can sense it and they're not going to give their pearls to swine, all right? Especially when it comes to our deep secrets and a lot of the sexual stuff, man, we keep it secret. We keep it locked away inside and we, we need a safe place to bring that. And we just can sense it when people get just, you know, that attitude of judginess, right? It's not safe. It doesn't feel safe right? So it's important to have some authentic people who speak the truth, who are real and are, have, you know, and there's some obvious heart change in their life as a result. And you change, I've said this a thousand times, change the heart, change the mind, the behavior changes over time. It's, it's just inevitable. If the truth is that we don't have to be afraid of other people and their ideas because we understand Christ, because we understand that Jesus is the definition of truth and love, then that gives us a certain confidence because it's true. Like having uh, Daniel Pryor, having Eddie Caparici on the show had me thinking, what if Christian counseling is sort of an art form, right? Like some of these guys really, um, like The Shack, for example, right? Paul Young writes this book, The Shack. It's a f- piece of fiction. It's metaphorical, right? He would say it's fiction that's true, right? Much like something C.S. Lewis would write. And so many people had a problem with it. Most of those folks haven't read it. I get that. But it's funny how I haven't found a Christian counselor yet who didn't 
like the shack. Like even if you disagree with the man's um, theology and doctrine a little bit, it is an excellent story about a man who encounters God in the midst of his great sadness. So I was thinking about that and thinking about how the music really stirred my heart as a younger man and um, I was a little reluctant to have this man from Georgia who's a Christian counselor on the podcast, but here, here's, uh, here was my, you feel, you hear some of my reluctance in this, this little clip I'll play, and then we'll get into the full interview. But, uh, on the other side of this here crucified bumper, there you go. Eddie, you were not a, a pornography addict, is that true? You weren't a sex addict, you you didn't cheat on your spouse. Um, help me, I mean, there's going to be some folks out there who are going to struggle with, like, they're going to say, I didn't, oh. No, Russ, Russ, I got to stop you, because I'm on, I'm on marriage number three. The oh, first wow. two marriages I blew because I couldn't be faithful. All right. And, I yeah. was a womanizer of the biggest sort growing up. Mm. Uh, that was my own. Again, if I go back, you know, father who died when I was five, a mother who had a nervous breakdown, abandonment issues that we had to be shipped out. And I, I grew up a, a, with a worldview. I created this worldview of you can't trust the people who say they love you. They will hurt you. Wow. So therefore, for me, it was always one foot in, one foot out. From the first relationship I started at 16 until I was almost 38, and I met my my um, my my wife, my current wife now, I've been with for uh, almost 20 years and been faithful every day, which I shouldn't even have to brag about that. Right. But <laughs> you know, I mean, but it's true. Based on your past, this is a new path. Yeah. It is, it is. But I had to go in and look at my own brokenness. Right. I had to be able to see. The fact that, you know what, why are you doing what you do? And I was doing it out of fear. I was afraid that someone was going to wind up abandoning me. Right. So therefore, having one relationship was never good enough. I always needed to have multiple. Had to have the backup plan. Right. It's kind of like in business. You're covering your bases with the insurance policy of sexual right, yeah, well, galleries. Then, that may work really great in the business world, but it doesn't really work too well in relationships. <laughs> Absolutely not, no. It's so, just rock and, and with therefore, it. I had to learn to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, maybe somebody will hurt you, but right. that doesn't give you permission to start hurting other people ahead of time. And it wasn't even my desire to hurt anybody. I was protecting myself, but I, I was doing it in such a destructive manner and way. So once I was able to identify the abandonment issues that I suffered from, once I was able to understand that it was nothing more than fear, uh, you know, the fact that I could be hurt, and then realize to say, okay, you know what, so you could be hurt. I was able then to engage in a relationship now where I can move forward and just trust in myself and trust in her that no matter what goes on, that we're not running away from each other. We're going to work on it. 
Yeah. Because you're that, you and she's her and, and that's and that's okay. That's coming together and Yes. Yeah. It's growth. Yeah. I mean that's we grow. We grow during troubled times. I mean we grow during those times when we're in conflict. We don't grow when we're happy and things are going well. <laughs> that's that's right. how it works. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, thank you for that. Cause I think a lot of people, they go into counseling and they think, Oh, well, th what does this person know about me or, or this brokenness? And, and you're, you're familiar with it, right? You, well, you... I think, you know, one of the things about God calling me to counseling, um, at an older age, uh, now 58 is that he wanted me to live through a lot of experiences. So it's interesting that, you know, we're not supposed to, develop what's called counter-transference when we're in counseling session, which is when I start to feel emotions that are attached to what my clients are talking about. Right. But that does happen because <laughs> a lot of the things they go through, I've been through. Things yeah. they experience, I've experienced. And when I sit there and I do self-disclosure to a limited point, because I do want you need to be limited, not therapy for me, it's for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. But when I do share, I mean, people like their eyes get like the size of quarters and they're like, yeah. oh gosh, you really know how I feel yeah. you in my shoes. Mike, and, and look at you now. You are, you've gotten through it. Yeah. You that was one of, that was one of the things for me, Eddie, in counseling and in, and in groups, I would go, Oh my gosh! There's someone who feels the same stuff I felt. You know, that was like an epiphany for me. It's so weird, but you know, just being alone and isolated for so long, you get out and you you meet another person who starts to talk about their story, and you go, "Wow, you felt like I felt," and it's like a it's like a weight that's lifted, right? Exactly. Because yeah. and it's not only that you feel as I feel, but I look at you now and say. Oh my gosh, you got through this. Yeah. There is hope for me. Yeah. That means change really is possible. Right. Many people don't believe change is possible. Right. And that back to the shame. Shame keeps you. I mean, for me, it was like at one point, I was like, hey, this is just me. I'm just a womanizer. What do you want? Mm. You know, it's nothing, you know, I'm not going to change the way I am. Yeah. And that wasn't it at all. No. And it it feels comfortable, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> it feels comfortable. <laughs> it does feel comfortable. Yeah. So, Eddie, what's your website? You got website? Uh, I do. It's called Abundant Life Counseling GA for Georgia. Right. And you're going to find on that site is a blog of mine that I post things about, you know, probably twice a month. There's probably about at least two dozen different articles in there. You're going to find most of them are going to be about relationships they're going to be about um connection with god and how we think we can make them stronger but there's also several in there that deal with sexual addiction too right yeah i've been reading some of your stuff it's great stuff i'm honored to have you on the podcast well thank you thank you very much There's beauty in the bleeding At least you feel something
That's Eddie Caparici and some more of Three Days Grace. That song is called I Am Machine. It had me thinking about, you know, if I could just feel something, man. If I could, right? That's a feeling as well, isn't it? That's true. There's something lost. Something about the loss of innocence, you know, going into into that transition growing up maturing from child to man or from girl to woman to emotional maturity is something I talk about a lot on this podcast I am 47 years old going on 26 emotionally right because there's something I laugh but it's sad in a way an addict Many times when we start to give ourselves over to something, um, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, it tends to freeze us emotionally. So emotional maturity stops. Becoming from a like a kid to an adult, Alice Cooper has a song called 18, right? I've got a baby's brain and an old man's heart through those lyrics talk about nailing how some of us who may be emotionally immature kind of feel we're thrown into the world into relationships with other people and we have to live right feeling hypersensitive towards some of the things in life is that that like baby's brain and then the old man's heart feeling the weight of of walking through this this life right entering into the machine you have to make money right i have to make a living i have to pay my bills so i am machine you start to feel like you're just a machine it's the constant temptation and struggle to conform to the pattern of this world emotionally just trying to feel so much just you know if i could feel something i mean that's over time just working the mundane day-to-day man you gotta mix that up people you got to interrupt the pattern with something that stirs your heart right let go of your penis and pick up a guitar or something (laughs) you see what i'm saying um i wanted to touch on again the music and how it correlates with counseling a little bit because counselors um they go into the emotional side right they want to touch on your heart your feelings they want to know how you feel which also had me thinking about the artists and the music like as as teenagers uh, something about that age when your emotions and your body starts to change and especially in christian circles where like you believe a certain way you know right and wrong good bad but then when it comes to sex it's this taboo subject you're not supposed to talk about right and then you have these hormones that start to come alive as your and i don't think it's just christian kids i think it's a lot of kids right i mean you know right and wrong and then all of a sudden oh my gosh i got you know i got feelings right i've got desires should i have these desires should i not what does it look like so we start to feel this growing sense of confusion shame excitement you know just wanting to be free but knowing that all of the paths towards freedom don't always lead to joy long term right 
they may may lead to a bit of short-term happiness for a little while but again like like that term when i lived in alaska peeing your pants to keep your backside warm may work for a little while but over time just not right and it's funny how now I know, like my brain knows that there is decent people like in even the Bible Belt, right? There's not all, not everyone in the Bible Belt is a legalist, right? But there's still that, the feelings are there, you know? It's kind of like that that Christian music that I was trying to, you know, you should like this music. You should, I just, it's not working for me as a, you know, when I was a teenager, when I was, you know, early twenties, I just like tried to like it. I just, oh, I just don't. And it's funny how maybe I attached some of those feelings to this gentleman, um, approaching me from Georgia, right? And as it turns out, it was a really great interview. It actually um, inspired me to put together a new survey. It's called Emo Word Pictures of a Secret Struggle. And part of it was, you know, birthed out of me re-listening to this interview with Eddie and some of the conversations I've had recently. And there's no multiple choice in this one. It's just kind of let your heart go sort of uh, questions 10 questions that I would ask you. Uh, So there's that on the survey page now as well. It's a way to have listeners um, be on the podcast, interact with the podcast. And for myself and the listeners, other listeners to the podcast here to get to know you a little bit on the inside, right? This is like a group sort of experience, but it's not, right? Like you're sharing, you're anonymous, you're sharing stuff that's on the inside that you wouldn't share with most people, which is very good for, uh, you know, getting to the levels of, of sexual dysfunction, you know? And listen, it's not like I'm your doctor or some leader of the group or facilitator of the, right? I'm not your therapist here. I'm just in it with you. I'm a brother, right? I'm a fellow sojourner. See me as that. This is not digital counseling, by the way. (laughs) It's just for entertainment purposes, but like my disclaimer, you know, right? Um... But yeah, stuff like this is healing. I, I wish somebody had some kind of a podcast like this when I was struggling. So there's another passion for doing this thing. Being a brother to my brothers and sisters and not some, you know, authority figure standing over you going, you better do what I say, you know, or else you're going to be stuck like this for the rest of your life. Like, everyone's different, man. Everyone's different. There's no silver bullet for overcoming sexual uh, dysfunction, compulsion, addiction. So, anyway, if that makes sense, subscribe to the podcast and... Um, I'm going to play the rest of the interview on the next episode, episode uh, 17, season 4. And I wanted to end this show by uh, reading a few of your surveys. You come in cold, you covered in blood. They're all so happy you've arrived. The doctor cuts your cord, hands you to your mom. She sets you free. Yeah.
Yes, that is Good Charlotte, the Chronicles of Life and Death. Um, Reminds me of this verse, again, from the uh, complete Jewish Bible, Matthew 16, uh, verse 25. Whoever wants to save his own life will destroy it, but whoever destroys his life for my sake will find it. That's red letter. That's the words of Jesus. And um, it's part of getting under right our fleshy nature and that's part of why my well, i like doing these surveys um <laughs> again i wish somebody would ask me this stuff anyway so dr j is a guy that filled out a survey uh back in the 5th of june he calls himself dr j he is male straight uh from his age he's between 47 and 55 uh Question five, he says he's married with a habitual, unwanted, compulsive porn habit addiction. And he's been in recovery since January of 2011. Uh, That's something I wanted to address as well. I talked about integrity a little bit, the definition of integrity. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that the behavior is, is on a progressive right kind of trickling off. I mean, that's part of it. And that's great news when that can happen. Um, part of the science, right? The the guys, the nofap guys, your brain on porn.com, you know, if you can go 90 days, the odds are of breaking the habit um, are better. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Um, that's why we're getting underneath the surface um, on, on this podcast. I like to talk about that, getting getting into the floorboards, going after the queen ants that are giving birth to these behaviors, right? So when I say integrity, that doesn't necessarily mean, well, I looked at porn only twice this week. I looked at it six times last week, so that must mean that I'm getting better. Um, Not necessarily, right? Uh, Relapse or as the the religious people might say, backsliding, right? You get these heart-level backsliding, right? I don't know what that means, but you get what I'm saying. If you feel like you're backsliding, if you feel like when you relapse that the world is coming to an end, there's something to be learned there. There's something powerful to be learned there. In your relapses, you will learn the most, all right? Um... Not necessarily the most, but you will learn a lot more from from those times where things fell apart and you're feeling like crap. Why, right? Where, where does that come from? You'll learn a lot about shame. Um, we grow out of, again, like Eddie said, we, we grow and learn from trial and error and, and hurt and pain and suffering. When we're suffering we learn more. When we're suffering, we grow. All right? I heard a guy uh, in Japan talking about these beautiful lilies that grow out of mud, right? Just nasty, gross, stinky mud. But if you look at these mud fields, beautiful lilies and um, orchids, right, spring up out of there. Um, when things are tough, again, that's when we reach for a savior. And when you know sex isn't your savior anymore, 
that's a powerful thing. That's part of why people go into recovery for sexual addiction, right? I don't love this anymore. I don't like this anymore. This thing is controlling me. It's taking me over. Help me. Um, so I wanted to clarify that when it comes to integrity. Integrity or growing in integrity is a heart-level, spiritual kind of a thing. It has to do with mindfulness and what we're, our thoughts and our focus is on more than it has to do with just the behavior um, on the surface. That's part of it, right? Again, change the heart, change the mind, change this behavior over time. Um Anyway, continuing on. Uh, did your natural mother and father stay married or get a divorce? No, my parents' guardians uh, stayed together. That's good. It's good news. Um, are you an only child? Uh, no. He has a younger sister, about five to six years younger than than he is. Any trauma as a child, like sexual abuse? Uh, yes, he was definitely abused by... Um, someone when he was a child someone of the the same sex um i don't ask that question by the way to be you know oh well that's why people are gay right because you're sexually abused by someone of the same sex no i ask it for different reasons i talked about that on another podcast i don't want to be too redundant but i feel i don't know just with the climate of our country today and the sensitivity towards um homosexuality i wanted to address that that that's not why I asked that question is to prove somehow that right I have some agenda no there's a reason specifically why I ask same-sex sexual abuse as a child and um, opposite sex because it's different I think the wounds are different and and that's simply it but that heart wound uh, it goes to shame it has deep tentacles and roots not as deep as you think, all right? Some people think that, oh, well, I have this spiritual damage in my past. If I can just get away from my past, you know, put the past in the past and forget all about it, that seems well and good, but you learned lessons there. Um, It's like my friend Stephen Kewen, who wrote the book, Ten Lies Men Believe About Porn. You learn to believe lies. Uh, Shame had become a a partner with you. Shame has become this like malware that's in your system that's causing some of these uh, self-doubt, self-hatred, distancing ourselves from God, running from God rather than to him. A lot of that has to do with shame. Uh, So but I, I'm collecting data for that as well, just to, just to know how many people with sexual addiction are sexually abused and how many aren't. I think that there was a, a survey that said, or a study done that said 86% of people with right pornography addiction or sexual addiction are have been sexually abused, and I don't think that's accurate. Um, so I'm doing a little bit of my own research here. Uh, Question nine, do you feel the damage in your past life history is just life and you will be fine, has healed and left a scar, or is a painful wound still affecting you to this day? His answer here is so eye-opening, you know, like that light that comes on in the dashboard of your car that starts blinking and you just ignore it, right? This is part of why I chose this survey to read today. 
um, the denial of living in the I'm just fine. Anyway, here we go. He's answering the present wounds question. I thought for decades that it was in the past and that I was just fine. Turns out that my very important defense mechanism for me became the king of everything is fine. Man, I so relate to that. I just, me too, dude, just putting it out there. Hey, I'm fine. I'm just this guy. That's another thing, identity. You hear a lot of people, I'm just real, man. Some people who (laughs) almost hide behind this kind of, I'm just a real authentic person. But you can disguise that with an I'm fine kind of attitude. You know, I'm fine. If you don't accept me, I'm okay with that, right? I Man, doing this podcast in the beginning, that was big part of my whole attitude. It wasn't necessarily good, right? While I was seeing some victory over my behavior, there was still some, man, I had some heavy um, stuff that I had to work through. Uh, I, I so relate to that. I love that answer. Um, I'm fine, right? No need to engage me. I'm okay. I'm I'm okay. About this time in my life when I was dealing with this I'm okay kind of energy, the song came on and it became popular. Uh, I can't remember at what point in my recovery I heard it, but it was like, oh my God, that is me right there. And it's funny how the the Holy Spirit can even use a, a punk rock song to wake us up a little bit. Here's a here's a bumper for you. in hearing that song and then later talking about that song in groups and stuff was, you know, again, it goes back to that song, I Am Machine, right? Just living in the mundane or stuck for so long and then not having a safe place to say that, right? Again, this goes to not just the secret life, but the life um, where nobody really knows you right? Like they, they encounter you and they see you on the surface and maybe people you work with or even people at church, they know you, but they don't really know you deep down. It's that behind the counter metaphor. Do we have those people in our lives who really know us? Um, that is, again, it's really important. I'll go to the last question here on the survey. Does anyone else know about yourself, right, the things that you've revealed in this survey? Um, A few people have answered this question with a no. Um, I want you guys to realize that getting face-to-face with somebody and telling them your secrets is so incredibly powerful. It is so... um, It's like taking this yoke off your back, this heavy thing that you're carrying around. If you just tell somebody, somebody safe, 
right? You don't have to just expose it to the whole world, but you need to find someone you can tell your secrets to. Man, it is so important. Yes, you're doing it in the survey, some of you, and I, and I appreciate that, and I respect that. I respect that you even listen to this podcast. I am honored and humbled more than you know that, that my voice is hitting your ears right now an hour into this this podcast. So I, I want you to know that. But I, I because I love you and because I care about you guys, man, I want you to tell somebody. I want you to talk to someone face-to-face eye to eye um, someone's safe right again not neat religious boys and girls but godly men or women it's just yeah, it's so important it's going to take courage man I get that um, but here's what he said and, and SA groups there's a lot of them around I'm not against SA groups I'm just again be mindful of the neat religious kind of controlling kind of we got the system right bullies that can be in some of these groups just be mindful of it if you go to a group you're not feeling comfortable you think feel like somebody's right just calling balls and strikes or throwing yellow flags at people <laughs> that's probably not the group for you go find another one um but here, here's what uh, dr doc j says uh, my essay sponsor summon my SR program, my therapist, and one to two very, very close friends I recently, last year, disclosed to my mom and dad. They had no idea. My wife does not know, and certainly not my kids. Um, 20 and 18, they, they don't know either, uh, and that's okay for now, right? Like She needs to know sometime right growing an intimacy is is part of this um that you would bring to her this wound of yours this hurt of yours and that she would be able to accept you as you are that's not easy but that's living in the truth and that's living in the light of relationship Part of the reason we even have relationships, I believe, is that we are created by God for relationship. We are made as image bearers of a holy and, and, and righteous God, but we're also flawed. We're all, we all of us, all right? Not just some people. No, we're all flawed. That's what the Bible says. John, First John, right? Whoever says they're without sin is a liar. The truth isn't in them. Um, so the fact that we would bring our hurts and our pains and our afflictions and our even betrayals of the person that we're supposed to love and care for, the ways that we've walked away, um, the fact that we would share that with them and however they respond, man, I don't know how they're going to respond. That's one thing about doing this podcast. I, you know, people have asked me if I sit, if I tell my wife, if I confess this to her, she'll divorce me. Right? That's a fear. That's not necessarily true, but it could be true. Um, there's a line from The Matrix that I love that says, uh, "Neo, right? In the Matrix at the end says." Um, 
I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Um, and then he talks about, I'm going to set people free, right? Or what does that mean to define freedom? Does it mean that everything goes well in your home? Not necessarily, all right? It means that our hearts can be free even despite all of the turmoil that's going on on the outside of the world. That's part of being mindful of our relationship with God, mindful of grace, mindful of, of love. Being mindful, by the way, simply means living in the truth of the moment. Um, some of the early shows I did, I talked about like time travel, like we are creatures in time, like you're listening to me at a certain point in time. And your heart is in this place in time, you know, like floating in a ship on the, on the ocean. You, you're, you're a creature that lives in time. Albert Einstein said, the only reason for time is that so everything doesn't happen all at once. <laughs> and I love that. But we're given a certain amount of time. There's an economy to time. And the more we can be mindful of living in the moment and just trusting God with where we're at now. Deep breaths, right? Being, just being in the moment, just being at this point in time, even struggling with whether you should confess or not. If I'm talking to this individual or a bunch of people who are struggling with that, um, don't worry so much about that, all right? But just think about what it means to, to love your beloved with the truth of who you are and who you were in the past and who you're becoming. Um, Matthew six thirty four. This is this is a mindfulness scripture, right? Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. This is red letter. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble already, right? Other translations, you know, talk about today has enough trouble of its own. Worrying about tomorrow is just spending energy that erodes our ability to be, to live in the moment, to be present, right? Mindfulness of presence isn't, you know, it isn't even using a lot of words. It's like when my friend uh, Chuck Hickman graduated from the Academy for Chaplains with the uh, police department here in my city. It, I remember them saying, it's a ministry of presence. Sometimes you don't say anything. Some of these chaplains that go into these really tough situations. Um, being present is, a, is an energy. It's not just an attitude, man. It's, a, it's an energy. It's a spiritual energy. It's an energy of peace. When we're all caught up and, and worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, again, it just erodes that sense of peace and well-being. So one of the things to think about, I guess I would say, or for those who are tempted to confess or scared to death of confession 
is if you did confess, maybe before you did, and many times afterwards, you would say, um, my love, I'm here for you, right? I love you. That's not just an affection thing. Um, I've told my wife that more times than, than I can count. That forgiveness is going to be like waves on a beach. We've had counselors tell us that after my confessions. Um, but I want my wife to know that, that I love her, that I'm here for her. And part of that being here is being present in the moment. And I'm not very good at that. I'm still working on that, right? Being present in the moment, putting my devices down and just being present with her in the moment and letting her know that I'm here for her because I love her. And, and when she's suffering, right, not getting defensive, you know, my go-to is defensiveness, right? Like when she gets upset or when the past starts to tempt her imagination to thinking that I'm still that guy, and that still happens, right? She still asks me. I still divulge everything. I have no secrets for my wife. Um, but I want her to know that I know that she's suffering. And I'm not that great at that either. You know, here I am. Still, I'm talking about this stuff. I'm also talking to myself here. But I want to look her in the eyes and say, I, my, my love, my beloved, my darling, I know you're suffering and I'm here for you, right? It's just taking a step back, answering her questions, giving her my smartphone, giving her all my passwords, because, again, I broke trust. That was what I did. I broke trust. So I'm a man who's going to live without secrets, and that's okay, right, for this time. And I'm going to love her with the truth, and I'm going to love her more with because you can't, right? There's no drone following around all day. So part of this is um, the offended learning to trust. And we build trust by changing our heart, changing our attitude, changing our mind, being in, in prayer, talking to Jesus, reading our Bible, right? And letting that not just be information that we use as some kind of a, a court system against other people, but as a way to love, trust build, and encourage others. See, that's where a lot of Christians get it wrong when it comes to taking care of oneself, all right? Knowing who you are. Um, there's an intimate trust, trusting life-building thing that happens between you and the Holy Spirit when you can just be present in the moment. It, you start to see the landmine triggers start to shed, right? That landmine, those two um, songs by Three Days Grace that I opened the show with, um, the triggers start to melt a little bit, right? I've seen this in my own life. Um, I am machine. That's another tune of theirs I played. The feeling that you're just a machine, that you just want to feel something for the sake of feeling something. Um, what if you had the courage to just feel everything? 
Not all of the time, that might be too much, but just be in the moment and feel everything in that moment, in that space and time, and be aware of God's presence as you sit in God's creation that is space and time for the moment as an act of worship, just stopping to take a deep breath, listening to a bird chirp or something, just go for a walk. Selfishness and self-awareness are not the same thing. I pray that that can be clear to you at some point in your journey. This is important stuff, man. It's called being present. I'm I'm still working on on that stuff, right? Being present or being mindful, having a good relationship with my devices, right? With food, with drink, with just being in the moment. Knowing what's true, sensing what's true and having the self-control to carry it out are two different things, right? Um but there's peace in the grace that God gives as we're growing and learning like little children, you know. You don't scream and yell at a two-year-old because he falls down. You, you realize that he's learning to, to walk and find his way in the world without bumping his head, right? That's how God sees it. God loves us like that. So as far as my journey and my relationships and the closest relationship with a human being on this planet, my wife has gone. Um, I feel I'm I'm getting healthier as I love her. And you know that doesn't mean that I'm distancing myself, running from her. It really means just being present for her, which is very different than trying to scapegoat her or make her to be the bad guy. Um, I'm I'm finding it easier right, to be in the moment and to trust that I'm okay, right, that her energy doesn't infect or invade me. When she's hurting, that's her. I'm me, but I can bring myself to her and, and tell her that I'm, I'm present and I'm there. But if that codependency kicks in and I'm just, you know, I'm part of her, when, when I feel like I'm I'm part of her and that I'm going to bust apart. If she busts apart, then it just all blows to pieces, man. Arguments, yelling, freaking out. But when I can separate myself from her as an individual, lean on God. That's where the three comes in, right? The clover. She's there. I'm there. God's over here. We're all separate, but one. It's, it's beautiful. It's a picture of the gospel. See, that goes to some gospel understanding, doesn't it? Like oneness in a couple is not codependency. The codependency is kind of selfish. It's controlling the other person so that you think by controlling them, that will make you okay. And it doesn't work. And it's not love. God wants us to trust and be three not just two, right? Um, 
I'm going to leave the show right there. I, I love you guys. I, I mean that sincerely. I know I've gone long. Um, Eddie and, and Daniel Pryor and, and Jim Henderson and these guys and uh, having some of these conversations with you guys and email and stuff. And I just um, had a lot to get off my heart and chest. So I hope that helps. Um, Doc J., Thank you for filling out the survey. Anybody else who wants to go ahead and fill out these surveys, I probably will do some more just survey shows in the future. Uh, but I, I do have a new survey up, and I want to do the social media survey. I haven't put that up yet, but look forward to that um, in, the, in the future as well. This weekend is the 4th of July in my country. It's Independence Day, and defining freedom has always been a theme of this show. So if you're an American and you're seeing the red, white, and blue, and you're hearing the fireworks, um, and if you're not an American, thanks for listening. Uh, but it's one of the weird things we do to celebrate our Independence Day is we light fireworks, right? And it's it, it goes back to the war that we had for our independence. Um, and it, it just kind of be mindful of the fact that conflict um, produces freedom over time. It's not easy. But it is breaking out of that I am machine, right? Just staying stuck. Um, conflict is okay. It's just how we handle it that is the the tough part that requires growth. Um, quick prayer to end out this very long episode. If you're still with me, I uh, pray that you would just pray this with me. Lord, um, our world is in turmoil. Yes, it has been for a long time, but the birthing pains of of people's hearts are are, are, are right there, and, and it's like nerves being exposed. And I I pray for healing and peace, and I pray for your grace to be known in our world and in our country. Lord, I, I pray for healing of hearts and minds and marriages and relationships. And I thank you for the opportunity to, to speak into people's lives. And I, and I pray that the listeners of this podcast would also pray for me because I don't have all the answers and I, I need prayer as much as anyone else. I thank you for just making us aware of your presence and your love. Jesus name amen. Till next time, go in peace, my homies. Thanks again for listening and uh bye. <laughs>